0: Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio Show number 527, The Future of Work, Wise Firms versus Foolish Firms. Today we're going to be talking about just that, the future of work. I'm Joe Dodds, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage for Success core team. The Engaged Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, inspiring people and workplaces to thrive. And we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to our website, which is engagesuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list and all our social media links are there too. My guest today is Joey Havens, who's author of *Leading with Significance: How to Create a Magnetic People-First Culture*. Welcome, Joey. Thanks for joining me.
1: Uh, thank you, Joe. Good afternoon.
0: So, do start by telling us a bit about who you are and what you do, and a bit about your book, I guess.
1: Well, uh, I am. I live in Mississippi, and I have just retired from over forty years and. Uh, public accounting. I'm a CPA by trade, but my my passion and the things that I have loved of, have been about helping people see and realize their full potential. And so uh, I've done a lot in leadership development and those kinds of things. And then uh, last year in June, uh, I published um, Leading with Significance, How to Create a Magnetic People First Culture. And uh, since I retired, I've been uh, working on keynote presentations and uh, just helping organizations and leaders understand how to be intentional about that. So I love to to fish, and I've got eight grandchildren and love to mm-hmm. spend time with them. So that's kind of me in a nutshell.
0: Lovely. That sounds I'm like keeps you busy.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: <laughs> so let's talk a bit about uh, employee disengagement. Let's start with that. We've, we've been t- hearing in recent years about the great resignation and, and about people um, leaving their organizations. Why do you think people, why are people going home from work every day feeling empty, feeling not happy with their with their work day?
1: Well, it's a, a fantastic question uh, and one that, you know, there's there's lots of things that affecting people and but I think there there's probably three primary drivers of really people going home with their tank empty Uh, and and number one is leadership. Uh, Leadership in organizations that not properly align with the values that are up on the wall. Uh, You know people people hear us say things, but they watch seeing is believing and they watch our actions and leaders are not demonstrating the purpose. They're not demonstrating that they care. They're not connecting to their team members. And they're certainly in many cases, not leading with trust, all resulted in not having a compelling vision. So I think that's the, that's one of the three primary drivers is just a, disconnect by leadership. The second is meaning. Uh, People, we all want to have, you know, get meaning out of our work. Why why is what I, I do important? Why does it matter? And how do I contribute to the overall mission of this organization? And for so many people, they simply are not getting that meaning out of work. I know there was um, a great study by the University of Canterbury out of New Zealand wanted to understand what's the most common ways that people find meaning at work. And there's really seven things. And for all of us, it's a little different. One might be higher or lower for people. Uh, but one is personal growth, growing as a person, contributing to society, uh being part of something bigger than yourself. Uh, another number two would be professional growth. Am I being challenged in this in this job uh, am i do I have opportunity to grow? Uh, number three would be a shared purpose where they buy into the purpose of the organization or their personal values align with the values of the organization. Uh, number four would be service. In other words, am I leaving people better than I found them? Um, the the fifth would be, I call it integration. You, A lot of people use the word balance, the balance of work and personal life. But it's more about integration and do I have some autonomy, some influence over how, when, where I work. And then there's number six would be it's inspirational. There's a compelling vision. We're really doing something uh, here that I want to be part of. And then number seven is back to just core values of honesty and integrity and and because of the way leaders lead I wanna be part of that organization. I see them as being high integrity, those kind of things. So number two reason why our tank is empty is is we're not getting meaning out of our work. And number three, I think the third big reason is we don't have enough autonomy or influence on how, when, and where we work. We refer refer to it as flexibility but when we say that, most people refer and think about, well, that's where I work. But it's also when I work and how I work. And whether you have small kids or elder care, uh, all kinds of different situations, when and where and how we work uh, makes a big difference. So that's the three primary reasons people are have an empty tank.
0: Mm -hmm. so I mean that was quite a big question um, to answer and and I'm going to ask another one which is (laughs) similar I think which is that I think I don't think there's anything that you said that most leaders would disagree with Uh, and most organizations similarly you know they have lots of I don't know programs initiatives and things that relate to a lot of these things but it still doesn't work in lots of cases why do you think that's
1: the case. Um, boy, that's a oh, geez,
0: big, <laughs> that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a
1: challenging question because, um, you know, it's going to be different and unique in every organization, but let's just take leadership in general. And culture, because what we're talking about is workplace culture, you mm-hmm. know, what kind of support, how do I feel about my workplace culture? And if you, you ask a leader, Uh, tell me about your culture, they're going to say it's good. In fact, I've I've done surveys of over thousands of professionals and 80-something percent of them, over 83 percent of them, always say their culture is good. Mm -hmm. And the problem is good culture always has a lot of problems because culture never rises to what, leadership's aspirations are, it always falls to what behaviors we tolerate or allow. And so when you ask a leader, kind of getting back to what you were talking about, you know, leaders seem to know this, but it they don't connect to how to make it better. It's like parenting. Mm-hmm. If you ask a parent, are you a good parent? What are they going to say? <laughs> Of course. Yes, I'm a a good parent, (laughs) yet we fail our kids every day, every week. Uh, We all scar our kids in some ways because we're not perfect human beings and we're not perfect parents. And so they have to grow beyond our limitations. It's the same thing for culture. It's such a self-identity, especially for the C-suite and for the leaders that, they're protective of it. And so when you're protective of it, you also become blind to some of the areas that it could be better. That's kind of my take mm. on that. Though.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree. I think the other thing, I mean, to go to the, the, the point about what we uh, in the movement call organizational integrity, which is what you were saying about, you know, not being aligned with what we say on the wall. You know, we have our values um, that we, that we quote to everyone, but we don't necessarily do it. I think, often those values end up sort of being aspirational because the business gets in the way and circumstances get in the way and uh, you know david mcleod one of our founders talks about you get what you work so the you get the behavior that you walk past and i was talking to a leader about that the other day and and they were they were like oh you know that's so true i never thought about that before but we so often do walk past things that we don't agree with because having difficult conversations and, and potential conflict and confrontation is difficult for people, isn't it? And I think that often is some of the issue, that um, we say things that sound good and we think they're good, <laughs> but when you know, push comes to shove we're actually doing the job, it's hard to do it. It's hard to have those conversations with people and we let things go and then we don't respond very well when things aren't going well too. And then you, know, you compare that back to what the values are, and we haven't really lived them,
1: yeah we exactly we've been tolerating or allowing behaviors that are contrary to those to those values, and mm-hmm. many times' it's, you know the key leader will be violating those values because of stress and deadlines and things yeah. like that
0: mm, mm-hmm. what about the autonomy point that that you made about the not having enough um sort of um, agency over how, when, and where we work, it's it's quite a, a, an ongoing topic still, isn't it? For, you know, following the, the pandemic and, and organisations having people working from home more than, than ever, I think, you know, there's been lots of positives where flexibility has become more um, available to people. But we're still hearing lots of organisations are sort of forcing people back into the office and, and forcing people to work in a certain way because they say, you know, that things aren't working in a more flexible way. But they clearly are for lots of organizations. So, you know, it's not as simple as saying, well, it doesn't work for everyone because that's not true. Why do you think we're still not giving people that flexibility? Why do you still, you know, why do you think we still think that people have got to be in an office in order to do a good job?
1: Yeah, I I do agree with you. I I see a trend where more businesses are, are saying, hey, we're going back to five days a week in the office. We're going to be uh, eight to five. And, you know, always warn them, be careful about who actually comes back and who doesn't. Um, It's really a short-term fix, makes our need for control. Uh, If we're a control person, it makes us feel better. But it has big downside, (laughs) in my opinion. And I think the reason that, we're we're not giving as much autonomy or influence into when, where, and how. Is because it's it's very challenging. It's very complex uh, because it's not just about where I work. It's when I work and how I work. I might it might be better for me to work after I put the kids to bed at eight o'clock, um, and it requires. The reason it's so difficult is it requires leaders to be very vulnerable and and trust their people. And we have to be better communicators. We have to have more clarity. We have to be better project managers. And on top of all of this, flexibility is unique to the individual, the role they signed up for, and the team they're on. And so it's actually literally one conversation at a time. And so it's much easier to come up with some general rules and our mindset uh, usually drills back to the legacy things that made us successful in the past, which was we all need to be in the same same place. And the thing I really push leaders and organizations to think about is being much more open-minded where you challenge your beliefs and assumptions first, trust people more because they want to succeed. Usually they don't because we haven't been as clear with expectations as, as we need to be. Um, But really lean into that and think about the mindset of excellence anywhere you can actually achieve excellence anywhere. And certainly there's people listening that have roles where it's customer facing, uh, you know, in our organization, we had roles where we worked inside the client's office. So all of that is, is, is part of it, but uh, it's all unique to the individual, their role and their team. So I think though, all of those challenges make it tough.
0: Yeah. So, one of the things that is um, in your book, leaning with significance, it's focused on having a sense of well-being. What? 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 Sorry, not well-being at all. Belonging. <laughs> that came out completely wrong. <laughs> Maybe well-being ought to be in there too. Um, so yeah, a sense of well. I'll say it again. A sense of belonging in an organisation. What does that mean? Because again we just talk about sort of different generations and different needs and so on and and there's there's um a lot of talk about sort of the younger people um being more more interested in sort of more i don't know that things that external to them you know their life and their career and their their sort of um uh impact on the world if you like and and maybe you know in the years gone by people didn't have such a, a widespread view if you like um so what what do you mean by belonging and does and, and do different generations have different perspectives on it and is that changing? That's about three questions. <laughs> Go. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. All right. Well let's start with I think is the easy part, even though the generations the generational uh differences are there, there's also more in common uh and actually the sense of belonging that everybody wants is very common. And we attach to that in different ways, but it's truly feeling like you're part of something bigger than yourself, that you you feel accepted, that you have psychological safety. And that's really the baseline for any organization if they want to be high performance. It starts with your team members having that sense of belonging and uh, they have to have that so they'll take risk and learn and, and seek their full potential. But there's probably six, five or six things that you can do to really work on that sense of belonging. It, one is that people have to hear and understand and see that it's people first is an organizational priority. It's not just a banner hanging on the wall that uh, maybe it's part of performance evaluations. It's, uh, it's part of uh, leaders uh, being promoted. It has people first. And in, in the fact that they are leaders that are aligned with a people first mindset. So that that's one key. Another key is uh, leaders to lead with trust. I cringe uh, when I hear a leader tell, a team member, you know, when you when you start to get some of these things done, I'll start to trust you, and mm-hmm. uh, that's just backwards to what helps people excel. And so, part of it is getting confidential feedback loops coming, cause you're back to, hey, our culture's good you're really blind to the fact that not everybody's having the same experience in your workplace. And so getting confidential feedback loops going, uh, is part of the leaders trusting the process. So that would be number two. Number three would be leaders being intentional to connect. You know, how well do you know your team? Do you know anything about their aspirations? You know anything about the personal challenges they have? What's going on in their personal life? What are they passionate about? So that connection, uh, you know, most people leave because of their direct um, uh, uh, boss or or mentor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, four would be, you know, we all want this. We want we want to be appreciated, recognized, and respected. And, you know, there's lots of things to do that, to do. Uh, Walking down the hall and walking past people when not out saying anything happens a lot in organizations. And another thing that's happened on the generational side is some of your younger generation are coming in. They're looking and thirsty to interact with some of the senior leadership, and they get there, and senior leadership's on Zoom calls with their door closed, For seven hours. And so there's the need to be appreciated, to be recognized. And another great tool for those out there is like team member spotlights. Uh, Those work great. Just different things like that. Which brings me to uh, number five would be establishing some social norms like team events, fun things. Sunday lunch is one of the things that we had in my organization where we always celebrated having lunch together and uh, really stepped back, you know, from the work day to, to see each other as an individual. And probably the last thing I would mention that would help organizations with their sense of belonging is more transparency. More transparency on, hey, this is what's not so great here. This is what we're doing to correct it. This is the progress we made. Here's the lack of progress we had. And here's what we're doing to change that. So I think those six things, if people would really work on those things, you would see the sense of belonging within an organization get much stronger.
0: Mm-hmm. So you- When you introduced yourself, you you said that uh, you've recently retired Um, and the title of the the radio show includes the words future of work. How do you think the future of work is going to develop and how different will it be for people in the future than it has been for you in your career?
1: Well, one wonderful thing for me is (laughs) I'll be able to pick and choose what I want to work on (laughs) uh, and I'm going to do it with a a much lighter schedule. But, you know, I have a lot of passion around getting the workplace culture right. And, and you know, I know from experience the power uh, when we do that. And if you think about the future of work and the exponential change that we've got going on, I can promise you the number one thing that is going to get organizations through all of this is a strong workplace culture. But what does the future of work look like? Uh, I believe that we'll settle in where some of the most uh, highest performing organizations will be a hybrid workforce. It'll be complemented with a lot of remote talent as more and more of the AI tools develop. uh, I believe we'll collaborate even more uh, on where we work, how we work, when we work, I suspect that you're going to see thirty maybe as much as fifty percent of the workforce is going to be remote in the future, uh, at least on a hybrid basis um, and then the the piece that I believe is overlooked a lot is with the speed of the change and the new tools. Um, And it really covers every industry, every aspect of of workplaces. It's, It's about learning forward, learning fast, and learning together. And that is something the future of work will have for every one of us, retired or starting your first day. You're going to have a constant uphill learning curve. And people hate to hear this. But the best thing we can do is embrace that because all workers, white collar, blue collar, all workers are going to need to learn new skills as the automation becomes more sophisticated. It's going to be a lot of new opportunities, a lot of new jobs, but a lot of jobs are going to change also. So that's that's kind of my take on the future of work.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to, to, to see how quickly things Are changing and moving and changing. Just you know, just think about in my sort of career and having worked within organisations and then within just my organisation and now back in another organisation. the 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 amount of change that happens in my view seemingly outside of organisations quite often. You know, so the AI stuff. Some organisations are really embracing it, and others probably won't even think about it for the next however long. And and at at some stage we'll end up really behind the curve because of that.
1: Yeah, I I agree.
0: Have you seen that? Has that always been the case, you know, in in your career too? I mean, it it, it just, it feels like we've got much, much more communication and, and things are in the news and much more availability of information, but it doesn't feel like organizations necessarily all move at a similar pace as a result of that. So people must be almost choosing to ignore those changes.
1: Well, I, I, I think uh, understanding exponential change is one of the greatest challenges for mankind. And so let's put a couple of things in perspective very quickly. So uh, in the year 2000, there was about 400 million people online. Today, there's over 5 billion. That ripple effect alone, getting back to your comment, Joe, about the speed of information and news, Mm -hmm. learning, that ripple effect itself is a huge tidal wave. And then uh, if you look at the industrial revolution, which affected 40% of jobs over 40 years, we are on a curve of change that will affect 80% 80% of jobs in 10 years. Mm-hmm. So just think the industrial revolution, people thought, wow, how are we ever going to get through this? And we're, we're on a course of change. That's four times faster than that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Gary, <laughs> when you think about it in those terms. So we're just going into the last three, few minutes of the show for organizations and lead well leaders listening to this, thinking about the implications of all this change and, and moving into the the future uh, from their perspective what what um what do you think they should be doing what if they've not really started doing very much now what's the first few things that they should be putting in place and thinking about
1: well i, I think there's there's two that are very relevant to our conversation today and i'll, I'll wrap these up uh really sh- succinctly for you uh first you got to have strong workplace culture because you're going to need to be resilient because the change is not going to slow down. It's going to keep coming. And so you need a team that supports each other and and you got to be resilient to learn fast. That means, uh, you know, you're drinking out of a fire hydrant. Learning forward is learning from those mistakes and learning together is we don't have time to each individually learn the same thing. We gotta got to share with each other. The second piece is that we've always had incremental change and we've been able to be agile or react and recover really fast. And I think the word that I would give leaders is to be more anticipatory, that you need to be looking around the next curve. You need to be thinking about what's changing in your business model and going, getting to work on that earlier.
0: Mhm, mhm, yeah, uh, as you say, when you start to think about the stats, like you say, as things moving four times quicker than they were before, you know any anticipation that was happening needs to absolutely ramp up, but I'm not quite sure how you how you do that or or how far ahead I mean I remember you know years ago people sort of doing a twenty twenty plan, um but it wasn't that long ago, and now we're we're. Add ten years, do we, onto our plan? We probably want to only be talking, you know, two years or three years, because things change so quickly.
1: Yeah, it's it's really exponential. So um, relying on our our reaction time, I mean, you've got to react and you've got to be agile. But there's there's opportunity, even on the people side. Think about it: how many baby boomers are retiring every year? That mm-hmm. is a hard trend that's going to happen regardless. So anticipate that and that affects some of your workplace uh, planning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've come to the end of the show. Thank you so much, so It's been a really interesting conversation. I think we probably need to get you back because it could have gone on for, for longer as well. So thank you for your time.
1: Thank you, Joe. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure.
0: And just to let you know, next week, Jo Moffat's back, and she's talking with Sean Kleiss and Gary Moss about the benefits of strategic communication. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.